Chapter Ten of Clover. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ellie. Clover by Susan Coolidge. Chapter Ten, Number Thirteen, Piot Street. Clover did not see Clarence again for several days after this conversation. The remembrance of which was uncomfortable to her. She feared he was feeling hurt or huffy, and would show it in his manner. And she disliked very much the idea that Phil might suspect the reason or worse still mr templestowe but when he finally appeared he seemed much the same as usual after all she reflected it has only been a boyish impulse he has already got over it or not meant all he said in this she did clarence an injustice he had been very much in earnest when he spoke and it showed the good stuff which was in him and his real regard for clover that he should be making so manly a struggle with his disappointment and pain his life had been a lonely one in colorado he could not afford to quarrel with his favorite cousin and with him as with other lovers there may have been besides some lurking hope that she might yet change her mind but perhaps clover was in a measure right in her conviction that clarence was still too young and underdeveloped to have things go very deep with him he seemed to her in many ways as boyish and as undisciplined as phil with early september the summering of the youth park came to a close the cold begins early at that dilation and light frosts and red leaves Want the dwellers in tents and cabins to flee. Clover made her preparations for departure with real reluctance. She had grown very fond of the place, but Phil was perfectly himself again, and there seemed no reason for their staying longer. So back to St. Helens they went, and to Mrs. Marsh, who in reply to Clover's letter had written that she must make room for them somehow, though for the life of her she couldn't say how. It proved to be two small back rooms. An eruption of eastern invalids had filled the house to overflowing, and new faces met them at every turn. Two or three of the last summer's inmates had died during their stay. One of them, the very sick man, whose room Mrs. Watson had coveted. His death took place, as if on purpose, she told Clover, the very week after her removal to the Shoshon. Mrs. Watson herself was preparing her return to the east. I've seen the west now, she said. All I want to see, and I am quite ready to go back to my own part of the country. Ellen writes that she thinks I'd better start for home, so as to get settled before the cold. And it's so cold here that I can't realize that they are still in the middle of peaches at home. Ellen always spices a great. They are better than preserves. And as for canned ones, why, peaches and water is what they call them. Well, my dear, distance lends enchantment, and Clover had become my dear again. I am glad I could come out and help you along, and now that you know so many people here, you won't need me as much as you did at first. I shall tell Mrs. Perkins to write to Mrs. Hall, to tell your father how well your brother is looking, and I know he'll be. And here is a little handkerchief for a keepsake. It was a pretty handkerchief, of pale yellow silk with embroidered corners. And Clover kissed the old lady as she thanked her, and departed good friends. But their intercourse had led her to make certain firm resolutions. I will try to keep my mind clear and my talk clear, to learn what I want and what I have a right to want and what i mean to say so as not to puzzle and worry people when i grow old by being vague and helpless and fussy she reflected i suppose if i don't form the habit now i shan't be able to then and it would be dreadful to end by being like poor mrs watson altogether mrs marsh's house had lost its homelike character and it was not strange that under the circumstances phil should flag a little he was not ill but he was out of sorts and dismal and disposed to consider the presence of so many strangers as a personal wrong clover felt that it was not a good atmosphere for him and anxiously revolved in her mind what was best to do the shoshone was much too expensive good boarding-houses in st helen's were few and far between 
and all of them shared in the still greater degree the disadvantages which had made themselves felt at mrs marsh's the solution to her puzzle came as solutions often do unexpectedly she was walking down Byatt street on her way to call on alice blanchard when her attention was attracted to a small shut-up house on which was a sign number thirteen to let furnished the sign was not printed but written on a half-sheet of foolscap which was what led clover to notice it she studied the house for a while then opened the gate and went in two or three steps led to a little piazza she seated herself on the top step and tried to peep in at the closed blinds of the nearest window while she was doing so a woman with a shawl over her head came hastily down a narrow side street or alley and approached her oh did you want the key she said the key replied clover surprised of this house you mean yes miss starkey left it with me when she went away because she said it was handy and i could give it to anybody who wished to look at the place you are the first that has come so when i see you sitting here i just ran over did mr bellot send you no nobody sent me is it mr bellot who is the letting of the house yes but i can let fox in i told miss starkey i'd air and dust a little now and then if it wasn't took poor soul she was anxious enough about it and it all had to be done on a sudden and she's in such a heap of trouble that she didn't know which way to turn it was just lock up and go tell me about her said clover making room on the step for the woman to sit down well she came out last year with her man who had lung trouble and he wasn't no better at first and then he seemed to pick up for a while and they took this house and fixed themselves to stay for a year at least they made it real nice too and slicked up considerable miss starkey said said she i don't want to spend no more money on it than i can help but mr starkey must be made comfortable she says them was her very words he used to set out on his stoop all day long in summer and she alongside him except when she had to be indoors doing the work she didn't keep no regular help i did the washing for her and came in now and then for a day to clean so she managed very well then wednesday before last it was he had a bleeding and sank away all in a minute and was gone before the doctor could be had miss starkey was all stunned like with the shock of it and before she had got her mind cleared up so as to order about anything came a telegraph to say her son was down with diphtheria and his wife with a young baby and both was very low and between one and the other she was pretty near out of her wits we packed her up as quick as we could and she was sent off by express and she says to me miss kenny you see how it is i've got this house on my hands till may there is no time to see to anything and i've no heart to care but if any one will take it for the winter well and good and i'll leave the sheets and tablecloths and everything in it because it may make a difference and i don't mind about them now and if no one does take it i'll just have to bear the loss says she poor soul she was in a world of trouble surely do you know what rent she asks for the house said clover in whose mind a vague plan was beginning to take shape twenty-five a month was what she paid and she said she'd throw the furniture in for the rest of the time just to get rid of the rent clover reflected twenty-five dollars a week was what they were paying at mrs marsh's could they take this house and live on the same sum after deducting the rent and perhaps get this good-natured woman to come in for a certain number of hours and help to the work she almost fancied that they could if they kept no regular servant i think i would like to see the house she said at last after a silent calculation and a scrutinizing look at miss kenny who was a faded wiry but with all kindly-looking person shrewd and clean a north of ireland protestant as she afterward told clover in fact her accent was rather scotch than irish they went in the front door opened into a small hall from which another door led into the back hall with a staircase 
There was a tiny sitting room, an equally tiny dining room, a small kitchen and a bath, two bedrooms, and a sort of unplastered space, which would answer to put trunks in. That was all, save a little woodshed. Everything was bare and scanty and rather particularly ugly. The sitting room had a frightful paper of mingled mustard and molasses tint and a matted floor, but there was a good-sized open fireplace for the burning of wood, in which two bricks did duty for entrance, three or four splint and cane-bottomed chairs, a lounge and a table, while the pipe of the large morning-glory stove in the dining-room expanded into a sort of drum in the chamber above. This secured a warm sleeping-place for Phil. Clover began to think that they could make it do. Mrs. Kenny, who evidently considered the house as a wonder of luxury and convenience, opened various cupboards and pointed admiringly to the glass and china, the kitchen tins and utensils, and the cotton sheets and pillowcases which they respectively held. "'There's water laid on,' she said. "'You don't have to pump any. There's the wash-tubs in the shed. There's a real nice tin boiler for the clothes. I never see a nicer. Miss Starkey had the tea in the dining-room set the very week before she went away. Winter's coming on,' she says and I must see about keeping my husband warm, never thinking, poor thing, how it was to be. "'Does this chimney draw?' asked the practical Clover. "'And does the kitchen stove bake well?' First rate. I've seen Miss Darkie take her biscuits out many a time. As nice a brown as ever you'd want, and the chimney don't smoke a mite. They kept the wood fire here in May most all the time, so I know.' Clover thought the matter over for a day or two, consulted with Dr. Hope, and finally decided to try the experiment. Number thirteen was taken, and Miss Kenny engaged for two days' work each week, with such other occasional assistance as Clover might require. She was a widow, it seemed, with one son who, being employed on the railroad, only came home for the nights. She was glad of a regular engagement and proved an excellent stand-by and a great help to Clover, to whom she had taken a fancy from the start, and many were the good turns which she did for love, rather than hire, from a little miss, as she called her. To fill the plan seemed altogether delightful. This was natural, as all the fun fell to his share and none of the trouble, a fact of which Mrs. Hope occasionally reminded him. Clover persisted, however, that it was all fair, and that she got lots of fun out of it too, and didn't mind the trouble. The house was so absurdly small that it seemed to strike every one as a good joke, and Clover's friends set themselves to help in the preparations, as if the establishment in Piot Street were a kind of baby house, about which they could amuse themselves at will. It is a temptation always to make a house pretty, but Clover felt herself on honour to spend no more than was necessary. Papa had trusted her, and she was resolved to justify his trust. So she bravely withstood her desire for several things, which would have been great improvements so far as looks went, and confined her purchases to articles of clear necessity. Extra blankets, a bedside carpet for Phil's room, and a caving dish over which she could prepare little impromptu dishes, and so save fuels and fatigue. She allowed herself some cheap madras curtains for the parlour, and a few yards of deep red flannel to cover sundry shelves and corner brackets which Geoffrey Templestowe, who had a turn for carpentry, put up for her. Various loans and gifts, too, appeared from friendly attics and storerooms to help out. Mrs. Hope hunted up some old iron fire-dogs and a pair of bellows. Poppy contributed a pair of brass knob tongs, and Mrs. Marsh lent her a lamp. Number 13 began to look attractive. They were nearly ready, but not yet moved in when one day as clover stood in the queer little parlour contemplating the effect of Geoff's last effort an extra pine shelf above the narrow mantel-shelf a pair of arms stole around her waist and a cheek which had a sweet familiarity about it was pressed against hers she turned and gave a great shriek of amazement and joy for it was her sister katie's arms that beheld her beyond in the doorway were mrs ash and amy with phil between them 
is it you is it really you cried clover laughing and sobbing all at once in her happy excitement how did it happen i never knew that you were coming neither did we it all happened suddenly explained katy the ship was ordered to new york on three days notice and as soon as ned sailed polly and i made haste to follow there would have been just time to get the letter here if we had written at once but i had the fancy to give you a surprise oh it is such a nice surprise but when did you come and where are you at the shoshon house at least our bags are there but we only stayed a minute we were in such a hurry to get to you we went to mrs marsh's and found phil who brought us here have you really taken this funny little house as phil tells us we really have oh what a comfort it will be to tell you all about it and have you say if i have done right dear dear katy i feel as if home had just arrived by train and polly too you all look so well and as if california had agreed with you amy has grown so that i should scarcely have known her four delightful days followed katy flung herself into all clover's plans with the full warmth of sisterly interest and though the hopes and other kind friends made many hospitable overtures and would gladly have turned her short visit into a continuous fete she persisted in keeping the main part of her time free she must see a little of st helen's she declared so as to be able to tell her father about it and she must help clover to get to housekeeping these were the important things and nothing else must interfere with them most effectual assistance did she render in the way of unpacking and arranging more than that one day when clover rather to her own disgust had been made to go with polly and amy to denver while katy stayed behind lo on her return a transformation had taken place the ugly paper in the parlor of number thirteen was found replaced with one of warm sunny gold brown oh why did you cried clover it's only for a few months and the other would have answered perfectly well why did you katy i suppose it was foolish katy admitted but somehow i couldn't bear to have you sitting opposite the deplorable master-colored thing all winter long and really and truly it hardly cost anything it was a remnant reduced to ten cents a roll the whole thing was less than four dollars you can call it your christmas present from me if you like and i shall play besides that the other paper had arsenic in it i am sure it looked as if it had and corrosive supplement too clover laughed outright it was so funny to hear katy's fertility of excuse you dear ridiculous darling she said giving her sister a good hug it was just like you and though it's cold i'm perfectly delighted i did hate the paper with all my heart and this is lovely it makes the room look like a different thing other benefactions followed polly it appeared had bought more indian curiosities in denver than she knew what to do with and begged permission to leave a big bearskin and two wolfskin with clover for the winter and a splendid striped navajo blanket as a portier to keep off draughts from the entry katy had set herself up in california blankets while they were in san francisco and she now insisted on leaving a bear behind and loaning clover besides one of the two beautiful japanese silk pictures which ned had given her which made a fine spot of color on the pretty new wall there were presents in her trunks for all at home and ned had sent clover a beautiful lacquered box somehow clover seemed like a new and doubly interesting clover to katy she was struck by the self-reliance which had grown upon her by her bright ways and capacity and judgment which all her arrangements exhibited and she listened with delight to mrs hope's praises of her sister she is really a wonderful little creature so wise and dogmatical and yet so pretty and full of fun people are quite cracked about her out here i don't think you'll ever get her back to the east again miss washington there seems a strong determination on the part of several persons to keep her here what do you mean but mrs hope who believed in the old proverb about not addling eggs by meddling with them prematurely refused to say another word clover when questioned could not imagine what mrs hope meant 
and katie had to go away with her curiosity unsatisfied clarence came in once while she was there but she did not see mr templestowe katie's last gift to clover was a pretty teapot of japanese ware i meant it for Sassy, she explained but as you have none i'll give it to you instead and take her the fan i meant for you it seems more appropriate phil and clover moved into number thirteen the day before the eastern party left so as to be able to celebrate the occasion by having them all to an impromptu housewarming there was not much to eat and things were still a little unsettled but clover scrambled some eggs on a little blazer for them the newly lit fire burned cheerfully and a good deal of quiet fun went on about it amy was so charmed with the minute establishment that she declared she meant to have one exactly like it for mabel whenever she got married and a spirit lamp too just like clover's and a cunning teeny weeny kitchen and a stove to pull things on mamma when shall i be old enough to have a house all of my own not till you are tired of playing with dolls i am afraid well that will be never if i thought i could ever be tired of mabel i should be so ashamed of myself that i should not know what to do you oughtn't say such things mamma she might hear you too and have her feelings hurt and please don't call her that said amy who had a strong an objection to the word doll as Mysa said to have to the word cat next morning the dear home people proceeded on their way and clover fell to work resolutely on her housekeeping glad to keep busy for she had a little fear of being homesick for katie every small odd and end that she had brought with her from burnet came into play now the photographs were pinned on the wall the few books and ornaments took their places on the extemporized shelves and on the table which thanks to mrs hope was no longer bare but hidden by a big square of red cotton flannel there was almost always a little bunch of flowers from the wade greenhouses which were supposed to come from mrs wade and altogether the effect was cosy and the little interior looked absolutely pretty though the result was attained by such very simple means phil thought it heavenly to be by themselves and out of the reach of strangers everything tasted delicious all the arrangements pleased him never was a boy so easily suited as he for those first few weeks at number thirteen you are awfully good to me clover he said one night rather suddenly from the depths of his rocking-chair the remark was so little in phil's line that it quite made her jump why phil what made you say that she asked oh i don't know i was thinking about it we used to call katie the nicest but you are just as good as she is this clover justly considered a tremendous compliment you always make a fellow feel like home as geoff templestowe says did geoff say that with a sense of warm gladness in her heart how nice of him what made him say it oh i don't know it was up in the canyon one day when we got to talking replied phil there are no flies on you he considers i asked him once if he didn't think miss chase pretty and he said not half as pretty as you were really you seem to have been very confidential and what is that about flies phil phil you really mustn't use such slang i suppose it is slang but it's an awfully nice expression anyway but what does it mean oh you must just see by the sound of it what it means there's no nonsense sticking out all over you like some of the other girls it's a great compliment is it well i'm glad to know but mr templestowe never used such a phrase i'm sure no he didn't admitted phil but that's what he meant so winter drew on the strange beautiful colorado winter with weeks of golden sunshine broken by occasional storms of wind and sand or by scurries of snow which made the plains white for a few hours and then vanished leaving them dry and firm as before the nights were often cold so cold the comfortables and blankets seemed all too few and clover roused with a shiver to think that presently it would be her duty to get up and start the fires so that phil might find a warm house when he came downstairs then before she knew it the fires would seem oppressive 
First one window, then another could be thrown up, and Phil would be sitting on the piazza in the balmy sunshine, as comfortable as on a June morning at home. It was a wonderful climate, and, as Clover wrote to her father, the winter was better even than the summer, and was certainly doing Phil more good. He was able to spend hours every day in the open air, walking or riding Dr. Hope's horse, and improved steadily. Clover felt very happy about him. This early rising and fire-making were the hardest things she had to encounter, though all the housekeeping proved more wondrous than, in her inexperience, she had expected it to be. After the first week or two, however, she managed very well, and gradually learned the little labor-saving ways which can only be learned by actual experiment. Getting breakfast and tea she enjoyed, for they could be chiefly managed by the use of the shaving dish. Dinners were more difficult, till she hit on the happy idea of having Miss Kenny roast a big piece of beef or mutton, or a pair of fowls every Monday. These pièces de résistance, in their different stages of hot and cold and warmed over, carried them well along through the week, and supplemented with an occasional chopper steak, served very well. Fairly good soups could be bought in tins, which needed only to be seasoned and heated for the use on table. Oysters were easily procurable here, as everywhere in the West. Good brown bread and rolls came from the bakery, and Clover developed a hitherto dormant talent for cookery, and the making of graham gems, corn dodgers, whole-cakes baked on a barrel-head before the parlor-fire, and wonderful little flaky biscuits raised all in a minute with royal baking powder. She also became expert in that fine art of condensing work and making it move in easy grooves. Her tea-things she washed with her breakfast-things, just getting the cups and plates in the sink for the night, pouring a dipper full of boiling water over them. There was no silver to care for, no delicate glasses or valuable china. The very simplicity of apparatus made the house an easy one to keep, Clover was kept busy, for simplify as you will, providing for the daily needs of two persons does take time. But she liked her cares and rarely felt tired. The elastic and vigorous air seemed to build up her forces from moment to moment, and each day's fatigues were more than repaired by each night's rest, which is the balance of true health and living. Little pleasures came from time to time, Christmas Day they spent with the Hopes, who from the first to last proved the kindest and most helpful friends to them. The young men from the High Valley were there also, and the day was brightly kept. From the home letters by the early mail to the grand merry-making and the dance with which it wound up, everybody had some little present for everybody else. Mrs. Waits and Clover tall Indian rubber plant in a china pot, which made a spire of green in the south window for the rest of the winter, and Clover had spent many odd moments and stitches in the fabrication of a gorgeous Mexican worked sideboard cloth for the hopes. But of all Clover's offerings, the one which pleased her most as showing a close observation of her needs, came from Geoff Templestowe. It was a prosaic gift, being a wagon-load of pinion wood for the fire. But the gnarled, oddly twisted sticks were heaped high with pine boughs and long trails of red-fruited kinnikinnick to serve as a Christmas dressing, and somehow the gift gave Clover a particular pleasure. How dear of him, she thought, lifting one of the long pinion logs with a gentle touch, and how like him to think of it, I wonder what makes him so different from other people. He never says fine flourishing things like Sir Bavade, or abrupt rather rude things like Clarence, or inconsiderate things like Phil, or satirical funny things like the doctor, but he is always doing something kind. He's a little bit like Papa, I think, and yet I don't know. I wish Katie could have seen him. Life at St. Helens in the winter season is never dull, but the gayest fortnight of all of them was late in January. The High Valley partners deserted their duties and came in for a visit to the Hopes. All sorts of small festivities had been saved for this special fortnight, and among the rest Clover and Phil gave a party. If you can squeeze into the dining room, and if you can do with just cream for toast, she explained, it would be such fun to have you come. 
I can't give you anything to eat to speak of, because I haven't any cook, you know. But you can all eat a great deal of dinner, and then you won't starve. Serber Wade, the Hopes, Clarence, Geoff, Marianne, and Alice made a party of nine, and it was hard work indeed to squeeze so many into the tiny dining room of number thirteen. The very difficulties, however, made it all the jollier. Clover's cream toast, which she prepared before their eyes on the blazer, her little tarts made of crackers split, buttered and toasted brown with a spoonful of raspberry jam in each, and the big loaf of hot gingerbread to be eaten with thick cream from the high valley, were pronounced each in its way to be absolute perfection. Clarence and Phil kindly volunteered to shunt the dishes into the kitchen after the repast was concluded, and they gathered around the fire to play twenty questions and stage-coach, and all manner of what Clover called lead-pencil games cramble and criticism and anagrams and consequences there was immense laughter over some of these as for instance when dr hope was reported as having met mrs watson in the north cheyenne canyon and he said that knowledge is power and she that when larks flew around ready roasted poor folks could stick a fork in and the consequence was that they eloped together to a cannibal island where each suffered the process of disillusionation and the world said it was the natural result of osculation this last sentence was phil and I fear he had peeped a little, or his context wouldn't have been so apropos. But altogether the cream toast sweary, as he called it, was a pronounced success. It was not long after this that a mysterious little cloud of difference seemed to fall on Serber Wade. He ceased to call it number thirteen, or to bring flowers from his mother, and by and by it was learned that he had started for a visit to the east. No one knew what had caused this phenomena, though some people may have suspected later it was announced that he was in chicago and very attentive to a pretty miss somebody whose father had made a great deal of money in standard oil poppy arched her brows and made great amused eyes at clover trying to entangle her into admissions to this and that and clarence experimented in the same direction but clover was innocently impervious to these efforts and no one knew what had happened between her and serber if indeed anything had happened so may came to st helens in due course of time the sandstorms and snowstorms were things of the past the tawny yellow of the plains began to flush with green, and every day the sun grew more warm and beautiful. Phil seemed perfectly well and sound now. The occupancy of number thirteen was drawing to a close, and Clover, as she reflected that Colorado would soon be a thing of the past and must be left behind, was sensible of a little sinking of the heart, even though she and Phil were going home. End of chapter 10 Recording by Ellie May 2010